This is the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I'm your uh, chief host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenen. And I am really excited about uh, today's guest uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, uh, first of all, I've got, I've got a guy on the podcast today who rivals me in beard dumb. And normally, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, see, normally when I get on these podcasts with somebody, they want to talk about my beard. Do you, when, when you're a guest on podcasts, do they talk about your beard a lot? I, when I first meet people, it's it's almost always a subject of conversation. Well, I had a podcast with our mutual friend, Elise Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah. Um, I swear we talked about my beard for 15 minutes before That's we got funny. even into the topic. That's funny. Yeah, and she's very much surrounded by beards. But, yeah, she's uh, very much used to my beard, too. So yeah, exactly. And, uh, and uh, I think a lot in that tribe uh, are well-bearded. But uh, Scott Keith is the executive director of 1517, um, and as well as uh, adjunct professor at Concordia. And we met for the first time. I'm not sure if you remember this, Scott. We met for the first time, I think, at the Christ Hold Fast conference in Detroit. You and I were both speaking at that conference, if I remember correctly. I remember it was one of the city event conferences. I didn't remember which one. Yeah, it was in Detroit, which is my home state here. So I remember driving down and uh, they had told me, oh, I'll bring a couple copies of your book. So I, I brought a couple copies of my book. And then you roll in with like all of your gear, man. Your book just, <laughs> I thought, man, I should have brought more stuff. That's funny. Huh? So uh, ever since then, I've uh, followed you online. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm 1517 is one of my favorite uh, uh, gigs out there, but Thinking Fellows podcast, uh, following you, your blog and stuff. And you did a blog post. I don't even remember what it was. A couple weeks ago, I think, um, where it was talking about friendship. And in the, in the, in the article, you talked about C.S. Lewis's uh, circle of friends that he had with J.R.R. Tolkien and everybody. And it reminded me, man, I forgot about this great book C.S. Lewis wrote called The Four Loves. So I went back and reread the book and I got done rereading the book and I thought, man, I wish somebody would write another book on friendship. I should talk to Scott about this. Went back to the blog post and saw that you had, that that was the whole, it was an excerpt from a book. So tell, yep. me, about, tell, tell me about the book, first of all. Uh, it's called Where, Where Two or Three Are Gathered. Um, you can find it over at 1517.org or on Amazon. It's a collection of essays um, that I wrote with a bunch of my friends. So that makes it convenient. I was a couple of years ago attending, uh, Thinking Fellows go every year to the Lutheran Study Days Conference in Bergen, Norway. And a couple of years when we were there, um, my friend and Dr. Father Jim Nestigan was giving a lecture on the friendship between Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. And I kind of had this harebrained idea that, oh my gosh, uh, we really need this. I had really used the chapter on philia um, in a couple of works that I've done, really relied on it heavily even in my first book, which is Being Dad, um, Father is a Picture of God's Grace, and had really wanted to do more with the idea of friendship, but... Um, didn't want to do it alone because my idea was for, for the where two or three are gathered book is that it'd be really neat to talk about friendship from the perspective of um, just the idea. Um, is there a theology of friendship, um, friendship in philosophy, friendship in history, um, friend, the ethics of friendship. And so my idea was to get a hold of all of these buddies of mine who have all these different specialties, historians and philosophers and ethicists and theologians and pastors, 
and each and kind of assign chapters out. And so that's what I did. And it's a collection of essays. My son actually um, wrote a chapter with me in that book. Um, Sam Schulteis, speaking of C.S. Lewis and the Inklings, does a chapter on the friendship among uh, the Inklings. Um, and then friendship in uh, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, and so really neat, um, broad spectrum. Didn't we didn't end up with all of the exact authors I had originally planned on, but the group that we ended up with was great. So they were clearly not good enough friends to say yes to you, and they just said, "This is it. I, I'm not writing for this idiot." <laughs> well, you know, sometimes um, sometimes you can convince yourself when you have an idea for a book that it'll be less work to do it as an edited <laughs> volume of collected essays. Um, I've done that twice where I've conf convinced myself this will be less work than if I just sit down and write the whole thing. And it never is. And so inevitably you end up with the, a list of people that you would like to help. And then the final list is the people that actually write the chapters when you need them. And of course, uh, to so not throw any of them under the bus, they were better than the A-list. They were the double. Oh, sure. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. so, so in your research on this book, um, like, like one of the things that like struck me as I was reading Four Loves Again by C.S. Lewis was, man, I just don't see a lot of books out there about friendship. When you were researching and working on this, did you find a lot has been written from the Christian perspective on friendship? Or am I right that there just isn't much out there? No, it's a bit of a hole. Um, and my book deals kind of a little bit more specifically with male friendship. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there kind of self-help-wise for women on this. And I, the book, the where two or three are gathered is not self-helpy at all. It's like I said, there's a chapter on the theology of friendship, on the philosophy of friendship, the uh, history of friendship. So it's very informative and, you know, paints a lot of pictures, but what I was uh, noticing. So the long story is on this is that when I wrote being dad, I ended up going on a, um, a speaking tour that just kind of never stopped. Um, I, a lot of the speaking gigs I still do are on that book that I wrote four years ago. Um, it, but a, a sort of a plethora of, I guess I'd say, men's issues come up when I talk on that book. Sort of uh, lack of mentor, good mentors in the lives of men. Lack, of course, lack of fathers in men's lives. Um, and then one of the big ones was just this reality that the modern man doesn't really have a lot of close friends. Um, and that there are really... Uh, important uh, sociological and I guess I'd say spiritual implications to that. Um, you know, the modern man reports being more depressed than any, you know, guy before him, in Amer especially in America. Uh, loneliness among men is at an all-time high. Suicide rates for men are uh, three times that what they are for women. You know, the older guys get, the fewer friends they report having. And it's just, a, it's a big issue. And, um, I was just, whenever I do these kinds of books, I'm just, I'm not trying to give answers as much as just some encouragement that maybe, um, maybe there's another way of looking at things and maybe sort of another sort of perspective on men um, and on fatherhood originally and on friendship that we might want to support. Well, that, I mean, that, that leads r well into a little excerpt from Lewis's book uh, that I was struck by, again, rereading it. Uh, this is what he says. He says, to the ancients, 
Friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves. Uh, The crown of life, the school of virtue, uh, the modern world in comparison ignores it. It is something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, a diversion, something that fills up the chinks of one's time. Few value it because few experience it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Four Loves, if your audience hasn't read it, excellent uh, book. By C.S. Lewis, it's actually one of the only books that you can buy the audiobook version of, and it'll be in C.S. Lewis's own voice. Oh, you're kidding me! I didn't know. No, that. yeah, um, it's I'm, not. I'm totally going to do that. It won't be the exact um, word for word for the for the print book because what he did is he read the lecture notes that he turned into the book, but it's in his own voice. Oh, that's amazing. I'm totally, I totally get to listen to that. that yeah. What, what do you think? Um, just thinking about Lewis and, and Tolkien and the Inklings there, what can modern f- folks, you know, right now here in our Western culture learn from those guys and their friendship? Do you think? Well, I'd say two, there's a couple of things. When I, um, in the book, one of the big things I, point out is that they, the Inklings very much had a dangerous friendship. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. But one of the, th- the other things Lewis says in The Four Loves that I think is important to point out is that friendship, I'm just paraphrasing, it's been it's been a minute since I've read it, but friendship... You don't have it memorized? It's like people who always ask me about obscure Bible passages. Do you have yeah. it memorized? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, yeah. He, he basically says that, um, you know, friendship isn't necessary. Um and by that he means that you could actually live your whole life without a friend, right? And you could you could eat and have sustenance, and because um, he doesn't really put uh, doesn't put our spouses into this category in the same way that we do in modern society. You could even procreate and you know go through your whole life without having a good friend. So it's not necessary for life, but he says it's the things that make life. Uh, important to us, you know, it's the things that, that bring quality to our lives. And he, in in doing that, he quotes Cicero, um, which, if you know anything of Lewis, this was kind of for t- he and Tolkien, their shtick was kind of knowing what the ancients said and re-saying it to us in a way that we could understand. Um, and that's very much what he does in the Four Loves. But one of the most unique things about this group of men, and it was specifically a group of men um, that we gathered together that we call the Inklings, so much so that Dorothy Sayers once asked to join the group, and they said, well, we'd love to see you for, for tea one afternoon, but we're sorry, we, <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't have you to the group of the Inklings. Oh, that would offend um, a lot of modern sensibilities. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> And she, you know, she understood, the funny thing is, I think she understood um, why. Um, and it wasn't the same people time and time again. Um, one of, the, you know, the sort of three characters that were, for the most part, always a part of it were C.S. Lewis, um, his brother, and J.R.L. Tolkien. But she had some other people that would come in and out, too. And originally, they gathered together, not just to sort of be men and friends together, but they were all... Um, writers of one type or another. And they'd come together when they were, I guess, on their game, they'd come together two days a week. Um, one day, one morning-ish would be at the Bird and the Baby or the Eagle and Child, which is a, a pub in Oxford um, that they would meet at regularly. And they'd take 
if you go to the Eagle and they, they called it the bird and the baby, the actual name of it is the Eagle and child. If you go there today, you can actually see the plaque. That's sort of the little alcove room where the inklings would meet. Um, and then the other, that'd be, I think on Thursday morning. And then on Tuesday evenings, they would meet in um, C.S. Lewis's office um, at Modeling College, which is just down the high street uh, in Oxford. And they would meet to sort of read aloud um, what they were working on, what they were writing, and then to receive feedback. And this feedback was often very dangerous um, because it wasn't sort of the modern feedback where everybody just affirms that you're a great person and the best writer they've ever <laughs> you know, heard or read in their life, you know, they would they would call it childish and they would say, I think this character's weak. And so much so that they would bring back uh, edited versions of these of their manuscripts for years and years and years um, to this until sort of the group landed on the idea that what they were headed at, uh, working on was heading in the right direction. Um, they would fight, they would argue. And that's one of the big things that I think we miss. If we ever have an argument with our friend in modern society, we think this means that we're not friends anymore. Whereas for some a group of friends like the Inklings, it was definitional to their friendship. Um, a lot of people don't know that for a, a decent portion of his adult life, C.S. Lewis was not a Christian. Um, even when he first started meeting with the Inklings, he was not a Christian. The rest of them, for the most part, were but he wasn't. And sometimes after their meeting at the, at the Eagle and Child, he would go on walks around the field at Christ Church College in Oxford. If anybody's ever been there, it's a, it's a huge field. For Oxford, it's a huge field because Oxford's a pretty packed in town. But there's just, Christ Church College has this giant, I mean, they have cows in the field. And there's um, a kind of a track that you can walk around you know, typical English garden kind of track. And they would walk around this and they technically would be on what's called a lunt where they're smoking their pipe and talking and walking. And it's through these walks with various characters in the Inklings, J.R.R. Tolkien being one of them, where Lewis is basically, uh, he says later in his book, Surprised by Joy, which is sort of autobiographical, that it's through these conversations um primarily that he comes to believe in Christianity with these friends, these dangerous group of guys that would get together and make a lot of noise in a bar once a week. Well, it, you know, it's, it does seem like that is an element that is missing in a lot of friendships. Uh, I, I can only speak to male friendships, but even thinking of, uh, of just, you know, like iron, iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. That's I mean, right. Th 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 there's, there's, a, there's sparks, there's hammers, there's, yeah. there, um, that idea of being able to be safe enough that you can enter into dangerous and critical and pointed conversations without feeling there is a risk of a loss of the friendship. I wonder if that's part of it right now. We feel like, like you said, it's a complete betrayal when someone yeah. um, says that we don't get the gold star that day. I mean, can you imagine, you and I just can't imagine giving C.S. Lewis uh, telling him, you don't get a star on your board today because that sucked. Yeah. But I mean, but to be able to say that to somebody or and Tolkien, know that you're safe. Tolkien telling him that Aslan is too obvious of a Christ figure um, <laughs> and that he really doesn't like the Narnia Chronicles because Aslan's too obvious. 
Yeah. You know, isn't that interesting? It's just so interesting. (laughs) That's fascinating. Um, But if you think about it, think about Tolkien's characters. um, They were not as obvious. They're not as obvious. Not obvious at all. Yep, that's right. Uh, uh, Lewis grew up in Ireland. I think he grew up sort of nominally Catholic. And Tolkien was always very upset with Lewis that when he came back to Christianity, he didn't become a Roman Catholic because for his entire life, Tolkien was a staunch conservative Roman Catholic. And Tolkien comes, or uh, Lewis comes back to Christianity, he ends up in the Church of England. And um, this, this didn't sit well with Tolkien. Do you think that, you were talking about friendship not being necessary. Do you think that there is something or there should be something that makes a friendship uniquely Christian? Like, if, hmm. as you think about even, and, and there may not be, I'm just kind of noodling on this right now, but as, as you're talking about the Inklings there and just thinking about, um, I, I, you, it's only conjecture to wonder whether there was a intentional gospeling of, of Lewis as they're sharing the gospel with him over, over time. Um, but do you think that there ought to be, or is friendship just an intrinsic human good, a common grace that just friendship alone uh, points to our creator God and, and I, I guess even the relationship in the Trinity or whatever, however you want to take that. Do you think there's something that should be uniquely Christian in friendship? Um, I, you know, that's hard because some of the, the sort of most poignant writing that we have on friendship is from some of the ancients who were, by our accounts, pagan, right? Um, and sort of the the concept, even the concepts that C.S. Lewis writes about in The Four Loves and Friendship, uh, various forms of love and friendship, you know, he draws he draws a lot, a lot of the pagan authors for that information um, in all of it, to be honest with you. And the what I think is interesting is um, I'm a Lutheran, and so Martin Luther in um, one of our one of our com- official confessions of faith called the Small Called Articles, which is a really weird name for a confession, but it just signifies the name of a town where in Germany where a meeting was held, and thus it's the confession. So, uh, and so it's called the Small Called Articles, and he's got a section on in that confession on the gospel, and he's trying to to talk about how the gospel is, how God communicates the gospel from one person to another, right? And he breaks it down into parts, and he says, you know, the gospel is is uh, given through the specific office of preaching, and that by that he means like when a pastor gets up in a pulpit and preaches the gospel to his people. Um, and then he'll say, he says, you know, of course through the sacraments, and for us that's back, uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper. I um, mean, then he says, of course through absolution when. Um, the pastor or one sinner forgives another sinner in the name of Christ Jesus. And then he goes into this, uh, this other category that you don't find anywhere else in our writings or in our confessions, which he calls the mutual consolation of the brethren. And he literally says that when, when we come together in fellowship, he's not even saying like specifically for the word and sacrament ministry, but when we come together in fellowship, could also sort of loosely be translated friendship in the way he does this, that there the gospel is given, and even when we kind of don't know that we're doing it, and he, he points out the words of Christ where he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. 
and its promise, right? That's one of the one. That's actually one of the promises of Christ for what will happen after He ascends. Um, that He'll be there still when we come together in His name. And so, I think there can be a a friendship that is particularly Christian, but I don't think that friendship in itself is particularly Christian. Um, but the thing that makes it particularly Christian. You know, it's like so many good things here on this earth that when you're Christ, when you're a Christian are not just good in the same way they are to everybody else, but they're they're also good because you know the real promise that's behind them. So friendship outside of Christianity can be good, but a Christian friendship can be that same good plus have the forgiveness of sins that comes when one sinner shares the good news of Christ Jesus and his forgiveness to another. And so, yeah. So you're super active or at least moderately active on online and you've got your podcast and your blogs and everything. What do you think um, social media's impact has been on friendships? Because there's enough of a debate within the Christian church of, you know, there's churches with online campuses and there's people who run to, to obviously they run to the internet to find uh, the sermon from this guy and the worship song from this guy. And obviously they're missing the sacraments. They're missing a lot of the community. But do you think that it has specifically impacted friendships in I, I suppose it could be both positive and negative ways. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would argue that the the ability to find people all over the world has reignited some old friendships, um, which consequently has done, you know, occasionally quite a bit of harm to marriages too. In that, for that same reason, um, I, you know, I have, uh, I'll say you can't see it, but I'm making air quotes here. I have five thousand friends on Facebook. Um, I don't know, you know, more than a hundred people probably. And then, so this is, uh, this is, in, this is interesting to me. I think that social media has um, changed the language of friendship. I think it's made um, casual acquaintance acquaintances or people you've never even met um, into people that you would call a friend. And when the surveys I sort of was alluding to earlier where men report that they have very few good friends and everything, there's kind of a specific definition that even sort of the survey companies use for that. And it has to do with, can you, can you name people with whom you would talk if you had a serious emergency in your life? And that's sort of how they're defining friend, right? Or is something very serious that you needed to talk to. When I'm out in groups of guys and doing this, I'm like, who would you talk to if you had an affair on your wife and you don't know what to do? That's probably your friend, right? Who would you talk to if your kid was just diagnosed with cancer and you and your wife are broken and you just need somebody? Who would you talk to? That's probably your friend. Um, the person that you, you know, sort of direct message on Facebook that you haven't seen in 20 years and only have sort of a surface level relationship with probably not your friend, um, in that same way. And so I, I don't think it's done much for the definition of friendship and it's probably done some for helping people connect. Although when the sociologists get a hold of this and, uh, the people who've grown up with social media, they say that they have, you know, less of ability to connect with people that are right in front of them. 
You know, I wonder, going back to what you were talking about earlier about the uh, dangerous conversations between friends, I wonder if there's a connection here. I wonder if, um, because social media is a place of, in a lot of sense, heightened emotions and the vitriol that happens when you're hiding behind your keyboards, or it's kind of like you have, in one sense, an echo chamber where you surround yourself with people that you agree with. But then on the other end, in those echo chambers, you attack these people yeah. and attack ideas to the point that uh, there's a polarization where if you're in my echo chamber, you're my friend, you're my uh, this might be a dangerous word to use, but you're my ally. Um, you're my you're you're on my team. But if you're not uh, my ally, my friend on my team, then it's it, you become kind of the the point of the spear. Yeah, and so those get put into two different corners where now you can't give the point of the spear to somebody who you're close to. Yeah. without categorically canceling them. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when you if you have the ability just to click a button and never see that person's input again, you know, without really much uh, in the way of repercussions on your day-to-day life, um, I don't know. Um, the funny thing about what you were saying in social media is that there's, of course, a lot of confirmation bias that goes along with social media because this is a, this is a very curated group of people that you've brought into your life. Um, some of us more than others. Like I said, I don't know a lot of people that are that follow me on social media, and so it's a little different. But for most of us, um, you know, we go out and find these people, or they find us because of common interests and everything, and it's easy to get quote unquote connected. But I don't think it's easy to have uh, a meaningful relationship if you're just relying on that. At the risk of trying to be formulaic, so for somebody's out there, like I don't have any friends. I'm not trying to go there. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your best friends and what you do with them. Like, tell me about your friendships. That's kind of funny. That's no one's ever asked me that question. I usually get asked, "What kind of programs can we start at our church to make this happen?" And my answer is like, "Well, I don't know. I'm not even a pastor, so it's." <laughs> I am, and I don't know. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, tell me about your friends. Yeah. So, um, I'd say the people that I spend the most time with to this day are people that I, um, for the most part, met in college. Uh, that hasn't always been the case. Like when we lived up in Northern Nevada, my best friend was a guy named Joel who worked at the city with me and who was into trucks and softball and all kinds of sports. And I'm not into sports at all, but we would hang out and we would talk about our lives and he would help me fix my cars when they broke down. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of funny in, in my everyday life, I'm more of a sort of hands-on kind of person. Like, my work life is very intellectual, and my so I make my outside of work life working on trucks and doing carpentry and um, fixing my house and that kind of thing. So my friends tend to be people that are the same in that way. Um, my, you know, my I'd say the guy that's my uh, one of my closest friends right now is a guy named Aaron Peterson. He's a carpenter. You know, and we, we get together, we talk about carpentry and trucks are going to be a common theme here. And um, my other great friend right now, he lives in Michigan. His name's David Ruffner and he's a pastor, you know, and uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff, hiking and our kids and our wives and we play pinochle. And, um, and I know with either one of these guys that if I ever had one of those serious issues in my life, 
that if I were to tell them I needed them, that they would be there and they would first listen. And then, uh, you know, if I, if it's a situation where I'd done a sin that they would tell me, uh, how much of a sinner I was and offer the absolution and some ways to go deal with this. Um, and then if there was a tragedy that they would offer the absolution and that they would offer a shoulder to cry on. Um, I've been, one of the things I say when I teach this is throughout my life, I've been really blessed with, I don't have a ton of friends, but the friends that I have, I'm really close to. And that's a blessing. Um, it's one that you have to work at a little bit because uh, it's easy for friendships to fall away. But, you know, I, I love them. Well, I love the fact that when you were describing your friendships there, you, you brought up two things. You brought about talking about stuff and then you talked about doing stuff together and that it's it's kind of like the talking about stuff and the doing stuff together builds the foundation so that when there is, like you said, that tragedy, that moment where you need somebody, you don't have to build anything to hold that up, that you've got enough of those. And I, and I think that's a, a common thing that maybe that's going back to social media. The social media, you're, you may get into a spirited, multi-threaded debate, but talking about stuff really disappears. Yeah. And you're not doing stuff together. There's something about doing things with friends. Yeah. we You know, C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves says the thing that distinguishes philia um, which is sort of brotherly love um, from a more uh, romantic kind of love um, is that in rom- like the love that you have with your wife, right? Um, that in that love, the two lovers are focused on one another and the, the relationship is what everybody is working on and building and trying to maintain for the rest of your life. Right. Um, in friendship, the, the the love isn't one where the love focuses on the other. It's more like two people walking side by side, talking and focusing on the same thing that's out there. Um, with a friend, you have to have some common interests. Um, you do. You have to have some common interests because you have. It's it is about the talking and the working out of things, and so you have to have things that you're both interested to talk about, um, or to do, and, and or to do and talk about. You know, it's not as much the case with your wife when when you'll have still like things that you have made common to one another, your children, your home, your, your, your you know, extended family that you've brought together in one family. It'll be natural things for you to focus on that are still focused on the building of the relationship and a friendship. It looks outward as you're walking side by side together. Hmm, that's fascinating. I was even, th- as you were talking, I think about my friend Fred, who today texted me a picture of his tire with this big bulge on it, that he was changing out his winter, his, his normal tires for his winter tires for the winter. And he's like, oh, you're never going to believe what I found when I was working on my tires. It was not a, I don't need, he didn't need my advice. He didn't, uh, uh, we weren't talking about work. He actually, we worked together, but he, it was, he knows that I'm going to care about his tires and wheels. We're going to look at that together. Yeah. And so he thought when he looked, saw it, oh shoot, I got to send Noel a picture of the tire because he's yeah. got to see this stupid thing. And, that's, and that's, that's what friendship does. It's the, I, I think you talked earlier about the friend is the person you would call when you have tragedy. 
I think friend is also the person you call when you just think, I need to tell somebody this, yeah, that's whatever right. it might be. Yeah. It's the joy of life or the quirky yeah. thing you just saw or the, um, you know, accident you saw on the highway, whatever the it is. The funny thing also, your kid you just, just need to yeah, Exactly. Yeah. The person you immediately think, I need to tell this person. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, there's a lot of common interest comes in that. They're only going to think your truck joke is funny probably if they're interested in it too, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they're going to be the one that rolls their eyes at you when you make the truck joke for the seventeenth time in yeah, other right. people Same in way. other people's presence. So oh. I'm going to completely change gears here because I want to hit on one thing that has nothing to do with friendship, but it probably does because I, I think it actually does. Uh, many of our mutual friends um, have been trying to get me out to the Here We Still Stand conference the last couple of years. Yeah. Tell me about the Here We Still Stand conference because, so, like I said, some of our mutual friends have said to me, I need to go because this is the place where they feel that camaraderie and friendship um, in that common reformation interest that we all have. And they're like, you need to come just for the sake of hanging out with each other. So yeah. tell me about that conference. It's uh, it's the best theological conference I've ever been to. It just so happens that we host it, um, that my organization hosts it. Um, I'm not even big on conferences and I would come to this one. Um, there's just so much about it. The speakers are always amazing. Um, the format is good because you get a lot of content, but there's also a lot of downtime to just be with the other people that have said we want to come to this conference too. It's in San Diego every year in the middle of October. It's actually the, the 15th through the 17th this year, which is very handy for us because we're 15, 17, so that makes it easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be in La Jolla this coming year, and we have – we're on the whole a Lutheran organization, but one of our big goals is to bring this sort of gem that we th- think is our theology that through, you know, time immemorial, um, Lutherans have been scared to share with the world and to share it with the world. Um, so even though we are mostly Lutheran, the attendees are, are all over the place. I mean, Baptist, uh, Reformed, Evangelicals, of course, some Lutheran. I mean, it's just, and we come together over the common faith that is Christianity and the common themes of the Reformation. Um, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And these, the topics of the conference will always be focused on that. And you'll probably meet some of the best speakers you've ever met in your life. And the speakers, too, come from, for the conference. So they don't speak and, and peace out. They're there the whole time. So you have access to them at meals and over co- and over coffee and over drinks at night. Um, it's really great. Uh, the one thing I would say is that we only uh, every year have 500 tickets and we've already sold about 320 of them. Um, and it's in, you know, there's still 11 months to go. So if you'd like to get a ticket, I would uh, check it out and I'd, I'd start doing that. We, we expect this year to sell out probably by February. Well, Scott, thank you so much for jumping on here and talking about friendship. I, I Hopefully, I'll get to see you out at that conference. And if not, see you online. I'm not going to say, hey, here's my friend Scott, because, you know, you're just my online acquaintance. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right.